The Hub is a community. Manuscript, book, and print cultures. Stamping problems. You are listening to a podcast by the Trinity Long Room Hub Arts and Humanities Research Institute. The Hub is a space celebrating tenure through the community. The Hub is about impact. The Hub is for everyone. Hello, everyone. Um, welcome to this installment of the staff postgraduate seminar series brought to you by the Trinity College Dublin School of English and the Long Room Hub. My name is Janice and I am one of the co-conveners of the series along with Maggie Masterson and Orlov Darling. The series is a relaxed and supportive environment for postgraduate students, faculty and guests to present and discuss their current research. Today, we are delighted to welcome Dr. Ian Hickey presenting on Haunted Heaney, The Bog Poems. But before we begin, a bit of housekeeping. The series is hosted by the Trinity Long Room Hub. If you tweet, please tag TLR Hub, TCD English, and our Twitter, Seminars TCD 2020, or use the hashtag TCD English SPGS. We will put that information and any relevant links into the chat for you. If you have any questions, please use the Q&A function at the bottom of your screen. The chat function is not available for attendees. You can ask your question at any time during the event. Ian will speak for around 40 minutes and there will be time for questions after. I will relay as many questions from the Q&A as possible in the time allotted. If there are any technical issues during the seminar, we will attempt to remedy them as quickly as possible and we ask for your patience and understanding. Without further ado, I would like to introduce our speaker tonight. Dr. Ian Hickey is a postdoctoral research assistant in the Irish Institute for Catholic Studies, Mary Immaculate College. His first monograph entitled Haunted Heenies, Spectres and the Poetry uh, will be published by Rutledge in 2021. His research focuses on 20th and 21st century British and Irish literature, and he has published work in Irish University Review, Irish Studies Review, Etudes Irlandes, Estudios Irlandeses, Nordic Irish Studies, and C21, Journal of 21st Century Writings. He also has a chapter on Benjamin Zephaniah's City Psalms, forthcoming in Spoken Word in the UK, edited by Lucy English and Jack McGowan, due for publication in April 2021 with Rutledge. I am delighted to present Dr. Ian Hickey, and will now hand it over to Ian. Thanks very much, Janice. I'll just try and share my PowerPoint here now. So um, thanks very much uh, to, first of all, I suppose, Janice, Maggie and Orla for having me here today. And thanks for the opportunity to speak. Um, thanks very much for, to everybody else as well for taking time out of your day to come and uh, listen and to, to join us here today. Um, what I'll be talking about is, I suppose, the, the degree of hauntedness, ghostliness and spectrality that is at work within uh, Seamus Heaney's poetry. And the focus here today will be on the bog poems. So I've went with the title Haunted Heaney, the bog poems. Um, I won't be able to discuss all of them here today because time obviously won't allow it. But I'll just give a cursory glance and a, and a sort of an overview across the canon of where there are, I suppose, elements of hauntings, repetition and return and ghostliness and spectrality at work in the poetry. Um, I'll be looking at Bogland from Dorn to the Dark, which is 1969 on into wintering out in 1972 with the, with the poem, The Talonman, on into North, um, 
with the Graw Ball Man in 1975, and then onwards into the later poetry with uh, the poem Talent from the Spirit Level in 1996, and then into uh, District and Circle in 2006 with the poem uh, The Talent Man in Springtime. So I suppose my theoretical focus or um, my, I suppose my philosophical standpoint here today is allied to Jack Derrida's thinking on hauntology, um, which he presents in Spectres of Marx in 1994. And I think that if we look at um, Jack Derrida's thinking on ghostliness and the spectral in relation to Heen's poetry um, and to, to Heen's poetry across his career, we see the same sense of repetition and return that I think is a, is a, is a key component of how both um, Heaney and Derrida think. And the same sense of repetition and return that is intrinsic to both their line of thought. Um, I suppose D Derrida had been focusing on hauntology for, uh, primarily in, in Spectres of Marx in 1994, where he, where he coins that term. But he'd been focusing on it from the mid-1980s in texts like The Ear of the Other and Memoirs for Paul the Man. So The Ear of the Other is 1985. And I think in this book, he suggests that the, that the dead remain with us, that, that they have a haunting affect and effect on the living. And he says there, um, I cannot manage to interiorize the dead uh, other, so I keep it in me as a persecutor, perhaps a living dead. So for today, I suppose uh, the, the idea of the living dead uh, in my argument here today, anyway, at least is not the kind of supernatural beings we might you know, see roaming the streets or, or the walking dead or even um, that, that we might associate with Gothic literature, for, literature, for example. It's more inside the head, memories, the uh, uh, ghosts of the past, um, remembrance, culture, ideology, literary hauntings. Um, and I suppose what, what we get in, in, in Memoirs for Paul the Man in uh, 1989 by Derrida, um, he focuses here on, uh, on remembrance. He focuses on the memory of the dead uh, as something which carries with it, so I suppose, a presence that cannot be cast away this sort of a haunting presence, uh, an absent presence of sorts. And in these terms, he outlines that everything we inscribe in the living present of our relation to others already carries always the signatures of memoirs from beyond the grave. So this idea that everything that we encounter, I suppose, in terms of hauntedness and ghostly is from beyond the grave, but it's also from the past. And I think that's what he's getting at here. And in the year of the other in 1985, he talks about, he says that when a ghost returns or when a text returns, it is never an echo that comes back, or if it is, it's always distorted. So if we think of that in the context of Seamus Heaney's poetry and the bog poems, when, when we're reading the bog poems, um, I, I suppose in Heaney's bog poems, what he's doing is he's trying to understand the contemporary violence. He's trying to understand the, 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 the troubles, where it's coming from, where it's originating. And he reads a true P.V. Glass book, The Bog People. Um, he reads a true Iron Age notions of sacrifice um, and violence. And so when we read the poetry, we were encountering the ghosts of the Iron Age and I suppose the spectres and uh, of contemporary society and, and they're working against each other. So what we get there is the distorted image of violence in time, I suppose time becomes disjointed. Uh, and were given to anarchism as we read the, the, the contemporary moment in terms of the past and the present. And this carries over into his thinking primarily in Spectres of Marx in 1994. And three or four key components that I want to focus on here uh, today um, uh, in terms of ontology are inheritance, repression, return, time, and difference. Now for, for Derrida, difference means to differ or to defer. So very often we get different meanings and, uh, and a deferral of meaning as well. 
And this is a, 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 a significant feature of the bog poems. But just to focus on inheritance there for the moment, Derrida says that um, we inherit everything around us. We, are, we, we encounter inheritance in the sense of we inherit language, culture, traditions, ideology. Um, when we read a book, we encounter the ghost within that. And so when we inherit all these different pieces of information in all aspects of our lives, we inherit them and they become, become repressed in our unconscious. They re become repressed at the back of our heads in many respects with the ability to return at any moment in time. So Derrida says of, inherit, of inheritance, he says that to be means for the same reason to inherit. So existence is, our inheritance is a part of general existence. And he also says in terms of repression and return or repetition and return, that a ghost never dies, it remains always to come and to come back. So this sense of repetition and return, I think in Heaney's poetry is intrinsic. And when we do encounter these ghosts, when we do encounter these spectres, when we do encounter the bog bodies in Heaney's poetry of the 1970s and, and into, into the later poetry as well, what we encounter is a disjointed or disadjusted now and out of joint a disjointed now. So the contemporary moment or the present moment is given, I suppose we are given to ontological uncertainty as we, as we, as we encounter all these different timeframes and all these different ghosts in the present moment. Um, and Derrida says then later on as well in Ecographies of Television in 2002, he says that heritage or inheritance is what I can't appropriate. It is that which accrues to me and for which I am responsible which has fallen to me is my lot, but over which I have no absolute right. I inherit something that I must also transmit. So this idea of inheritance, what he's talking about in, in, in Inspectors of Marx, when we inherit these ghosts, when we in, in, inherit these spectres of the past, um, we must also transmit them into the future. And what we're get, when we do transmit these ghosts, when we do in, uh, transmit these inheritances, we're back again to his idea in the era of the other there, that when we encounter this, these ghosts, it's always distorted. So we inaugurate something new without breaking from the past. And that's what Heaney's really doing in many respects in the bog poems. And in 1995, then Derrida says as well in his book, The Gift of Death, he says that repression doesn't destroy. It displaces something from one place to another within the system. So again, here we get this sense of inaugurating something new while not breaking from the old. <clears throat> So what, what got me really thinking, I suppose, about hauntedness and Heaney's poetry, um, or Heaney's bog poems, is the idea here that the, the, the later poems are certainly uh, ghostly. There is a certain sense of spectrality, and that's reflected in Heaney's scholarship um, in all of it, really. And I've given a few examples here on the screen of it, but I suppose in terms of the earlier poetry, that, that same sense of ghostliness or hauntedness isn't reflected. And in, in the context of the later poetry, in terms of Talon from the spirit level and the Talon and the springtime from, from district and circle, Eugene O'Brien has said that the continuous adjudication between past and present has resulted in this most fluid of poems, a poem which decenters the place named Talon and instead makes it more of a spectral entity. Jonathan Hofstadter has similarly said that the Talon is no longer seen as an interred corpse but as a ghost set free to walk again in the light of day. Stephen Regan has suggested that the image of ghosts is momentarily unsettling since the haunted presence usually signifies the troubled legacy of the past, but the facing of the light is a positive indication of a new start and a new determination to go forward, unconstrained by the narrow moral and religious dictates that have previously hindered progress. Okay, so what we get really is the, 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 the general idea, and it's reflected in the language of the poems as well. I think in... in, in uh, the Taliban springtime in springtime we see the Taliban. He said he, he had my phantom hand. Um, in Talon, he, he says that, that 
he, he mentions ghosts in that poem at the end of it. Um, I think it's ghosts who'd walked abroad, I think is the, is the line, but, I, I, but he, he does mention ghosts. Um, but in the earlier po poetry, I think it, it, the, the return that occurs here is the Talon Man appears in 1972 in Wintering Out, and then he returns as this ghostly figure in Talon and the Talon Man in springtime. But I would argue also that the Talon Man's return and the Bog Bodies more generally, their return to haunt the contemporary moment, to haunt Heaney's poetry, are indeed a haunting and, and are indeed spectral as well, because if we read it through the lens of Derrida's poetry, the sense of inheritance, he, he inherits these ideas from the past. He inherits it from P.V. Glaub's book, The Bog People, in many respects, and transmits these ghosts, these older, wider European hauntings, these wider, older European cultures and texts into a more contemporary moment. He, he, he encounters the, the Iron Age and the, the contemporary moment, and he mixes the contemporary with the archaic. So there again, in the, in the sense of hauntedness, we get that sense of disjointedness, we're given to anachronism. We find ourselves in the haunted present as we very often read the poems in terms of the, the, the in, in image in terms of the bog bodies, but we are wholly aware that Heaney is talking about, about Northern Ireland and the troubles and the violence that is occurring um, there in the, in the early 1970s specifically in terms of wintering out and north, which are 1972 and 1975. But this idea of the bog and the, the idea of digging and unearthing is itself an inheritance of so uh, is itself a, an inheritance because what we get here is it, uh, on the left hand side is a nursery rhyme of sorts that Heaney would have um, said as a young child. He says it was taught to him by older people in the area and it's something that he would have said on the way home with from school with friends. And this is he's talking about this in preoccupations in 19. 18 his book of prose and it goes as follows are your properties dry and are they fit for digging put in your spade and try says dirty face mcguigan so this idea of digging it's not really until i suppose maybe the 1970s when he's actually writing this but it's not until later years that he realizes that this is inherited and it, it transmits into the poetry it gives us the the the, the, the digging metaphor set out in digging in death of a naturalist the idea of unearthing and going downwards into the bog in the bog poems uh, it gives us the downward descent in, Dan in, in, in fieldwork when we see Dante and Ugolino and, and Inferno. And again, in the later poetry, in the context of Virgil's Aeneid, book six. And Heaney says again that I should say that I dug it up because I've come to realize that it was laid down in the years before that even. So this idea of digging, unearthing, it is in self an inheritance and it becomes transmitted and distorted in all these different fashions throughout, throughout the Heaney character throughout the Heaney canon in terms of the bog poems, Dante, Virgil, and all those different downwards, downward descents. But I would argue that probably while digging is, I suppose, the Urbog poem in many respects, I think Bogland from Door into the Dark in 1969 is probably one of Heaney's most important poems because I think it's where he comes into his stride. It's where he gains that sense of the bog as a repository of the past the bog as this hoarder of objects, as a, as a haunted bog in many respects, and that is, it, 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 uh, all these spectres and, uh, and ghosts of the past reside within it. And once the, the layers are stripped, once it's unearthed and once it's dug down into, all these ghosts of the past lurch forward again into the present moment. And on the left-hand side of your screen there, I've just taken the first three or four, four stanzas of the poem, and they go as follows. We have no prairies to slice the big sun at evening. Everywhere the eye concedes to encroaching horizon is wooed into the cyclops eye of a tarn. Our unfenced country is bogged that keeps crossing between the sights of the sun. They've taken the skeleton of the great Irish elk out of the peat, set it up an astounding crate full of air, butter sunk under, 
more than 100 years was recovered salty and white. So we have no prairies recalls Theodore Rotka's poem um, in praise of prairie, where he's talking about the, the expansiveness and, uh, and celebrating the, the expansiveness of the American prairies. And Heaney, in an interview with Mike Murphy, um, says of Bogland that, it, and, and this is a quote, it's about equating Irish experience to some extent with the bogs, as opposed to the prairies in America. It was not autobiographical. So he's moving away from the autobiographical poems of, of Death of a Naturalist and, it, and the early stages of Door into the Dark. And Bogland is the final poem that places a final poem in Door into the Dark. And it leads us into the bog poems of Wintering Out and North. But it's also that, that, that idea of he, he's moving what he calls, uh, as I think, I think it might be in Dennis O'Driscoll's book, uh, Stepping Stones, the book of interviews, I'm not too sure, but into the matter of Ireland, he calls it. Um, and once we see down here the great Irish elk being lifted out of the peat, the butter sunk under more than 100 years being recovered salty and white, the mummification, the, the idea of that repository of the past, and these spectres lurch forward into the present yet again. And even over there on the right-hand side, uh, uh, um, I've taken the final stanza of the poem, every layer of this strip seems camped on the floor. The bog holes might be Atlantic seepage, the wet center is bottomless. And this idea of the bottomlessness of the bog is again, is itself a haunting because it's inherited during Heaney's childhood. It's, it, it's an inheritance of what um, older people around the, the area where he would have grown up around Belahi and Maharafelt uh, uh, and Mossbawn. And we, it, it was a warning that older people would have given us, don't go near the bogs, because if you do, you might fall in and they're bottomless and you'll never be found again, I suppose. But he, he, he takes this, I suppose, in an imaginative sense in later years, it distorts it and transmits it into, into, into a newer form. He says, he says of this, this bottomless, uh, and Derrida also equates the spectral. He, he, encountered, he says that the spectres that we encounter um, are, are non, I suppose, have a non-physical presence. They're, they're more identifiable by the traces that they leave upon the presence rather than an, in any physical form. So we're given to ideas of um of culture and memory and remembrance there yet again but Heaney remembers this and he says that uh and the bottomlessness and Derrida says as well sorry of the specter that the amount that we can um uh, the, the amount that we encounter can, can encounter are limitless so the limitlessness of the bog and the uh, are the limitless na nature of the amount of specters and the, the bottomless nature of the bog there, there's an equation equation there in, in many respects and Heaney says here, he says, in an interview with Edward, Edward Broadbridge in 1977, he says, they said it so often, I firmly believed it. And in a different way, I believe it still. As a child, I used to imagine my helpless body whistling down a black shaft forever and ever. Now I imagine the imagination itself sinking endlessly down and under that heathery expanse. And so when we moved in, the, the, when, we, when he encounters the bog people and we move towards wintering out in 1972, we, we find ourselves again, yet again, in the haunted present. And Heaney says, um, in the, said in the Times, Times London, he said in 2010, a book, he calls the bog people a book with the power to haunt. And I would argue that if he had been saying this from maybe the 1970s, the early 1970s, he said that, we would have been reading the earlier bog poems and the, the return of these bog bodies in terms of image and notions of sacrifice, in terms of hauntedness, in terms of spectrality, and in terms of ghostliness. And even if we look, I've taken two quotes here from Gob's book and like oak predominated oak, the symbol of Derry, uh, Dira, meaning oak grove. It, this is potent stuff for Heaney. Um, 
Oak predominated, while beech, a newcomer in the Iron Age forest, occurred only occasionally, as did lime, ash, elm, fir, and alder. Hazel and hawthorn grew at the edges of the forest. There were pictures of a pretty um, little whitewashed cottage with attached roof on which Ray Christian had lived. So the whitewashed cottage and attached roof would remind Heaney of Moss Bond, the area where he grew up, the house in which he grew up. Um, so while the bog bodies are of the Iron Age, Heaney's begins equating them with a more contemporary context and they, they, they would have reflected his own world, the, the area in which they were found would have reflected his own, that own, his own area around rural County Derry. And similarly, when he encounters the photographs of these bodies, which I have on the right hand side there, on the top is the Taliban and the bottom is the Grawball man. Um, this would have been potent stuff for that sense of the bog as a repository of the past. And it takes on a more political element to it in wintering out in, in the Talon man, that poem. But on the left-hand side, we have another, another quote. I think this is an important point to consider. And it's from P.V. Glove's book as well. And he says, our forefathers believed that so long as the stakes stood, the ghost remained pinned in the ground. If the stakes were removed, however, trouble would start all over again. The big oak stake is certainly in favor of this explanation. So the idea that when the bodies were placed in these bogs, when they were sacrificed, that they were pinned down. And once they are unearthed in, a, in an imaginative sense by Heaney in, 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 in the 1970s, I suppose, trouble would start all over again. So we equate that with the troubles, the sectarian violence that, that is occurring at, uh, in Northern Ireland at that time. And these ghosts lurch into the present moment. They're haunting, they're inauguration of something new and they're, the, they're that distorted image yet again. Um, of, a, of, a, of a modern violence that has shades of the past about it, that, that has this ghostly resonance with the past. And, and these notions of sacrifice and violence are again reflected in, in the Taliban. The, the bog bodies were sacrificed to the goddess Nertis, who we see on the left-hand side here when Heaney calls her the, the bridegroom to the goddess. She tightened her torque on him and, and opened her fen. So Nertis, these bodies were, were sacrifices in the hope of rejuvenation that, 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 uh, in, in the springtime. But we also see that those notions of the, 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 the repository and the, the hauntedness and the sense of repetition and return, because when the Talon man is dug out of the bog body, his last gruel of winter seas were still caked in his stomach there on the top left hand corner. So that sense of the repository is there. We get the sense of nertis. So we're in the Iron Age. We're talking about the bog body. We're talking about the Talon man. But in the final line down there on the left hand side, and those dark juices working him to a saint's kept body. So we have the saintly here as well, which have, would have Catholic resonances about it. So we're, we find ourselves ontologically uncertain here because we have, uh, we encounter the bog body, we encounter nurses, which are pre-Christian and located in the Iron Age in terms of uh, the bog bodies. But then we encounter that Christian symbology there, Christian language. And that carries over into section two of the poem on the right-hand side, where, he, where we see words like blasphemy, consecrate, holy ground and pray. Um, so this, I suppose, disjoints the time as Derrida would say. We find, our, we find ourselves ontologically uncertain. Um, the, the, past, uh, the present moment folds into itself. And again, the past secures itself within the present here because Cauldron Bog there at the top right hand corner is taken from P.V. Glove's book, The Bog People. It's what local people in the area around Jutland where these bog bodies were found. They, they call these bogs Cauldron Bogs. So again, there we're getting the mixing of the archaic and the contemporary. We're getting a mixture and a transmission of the ideas in P.V. Glob's book, The Bog People. Um, and even in 1972, Heaney actually hadn't visited these um, uh, bog bodies. He hadn't seen them in real life. He's reading it through Glob's eyes, I suppose. He's looking at the photographs. And, and Derrida says of photographs, and I may read a quote. 
He says that the modern possibility of the photograph joins in a single system that and the referent. He also says then, to be haunted by a ghost is to remember what one has never lived in the present, to remember what, in essence, has never had the form of presence. Modern technology, contrary to appearances, although it is scientific, increases tenfold the power of ghosts. The future belongs to ghosts. So when these ghosts are encountered by Heaney in terms of the photographs, they reanimate themselves to speak for and to the present moment, to reflect the present moment, and for Heaney to form some form, uh, I suppose, of some way of understanding where the sectarian violence is coming from, where, uh, why it's happening, and is there any possibilities for, uh, for, for peace in the future? And then when he encounters, I suppose, um, the Grawball Man, uh, uh, and when we encounter the Grawball Man in North in 1975, we see, I suppose, a heightened sense of violence here. Um, things escalate. 1972, um, wintering out, was probably one of the most violent and bloody years of, of, of the, the, the conflict in, in Northern Ireland. Um, it, we have Bloody Sunday there, and we have Bl Bloody Friday in that year as well. Um, but in this poem, what changes, I think, for Heaney is that he actually visits Jutland. He vis visits the museum in Aarhus in Denmark, where these bodies are, are, are laid out, I suppose. Um, and he talks about this in his book of interviews with Dennis O'Driscoll's Stepping Stones, and he says that the actual visit to Tallinn and Silkeborg, incidentally, rather than Aarhus, took place after the poem was written. But on the same visit in 1973, I saw the Grawball Man in the museum in Aarhus. So what we get here then in this poem is that, I suppose, these ghost inspectors, um, they become even more distorted in many respects, because here, uh, if, if, we, if we look up to the, the top right hand side there, we see that uh, he, he's calling tar, he lies on a pillow of turf and seems to weep the black river of himself. And even down on the left hand side there, we see he has a twisted face. Heaney says as well in the poem that he has a slashed throat. And this isn't something that we encounter in that poem too, too much. In, in the Taliban, the sense of violence comes um, from the scattered ambushed flesh of labor, stocking corpses laid out in the farmyards, telltale skin and teeth flecking the sleepers of the four young brothers trail for miles along the lines. And what we get here is a representation of violence in 1920s Ireland, where Heaney is talking about four young brothers who were murdered by the Black and Tans. So in this poem, we, we, we are kind of, I suppose, we are encountering encountering the Iron Age bog body, we're encountering violence in the 1920s, but we see Heaney, I suppose, reflecting on and talking about um, the violence of the 1970s, whereas here we're steeply located, deeply located even in the 1970s in, in Northern Ireland, but again through that distorted image of the Grawball man. And even over here, then we see, he, I first saw his uh, twisted face in a photograph, a head and shoulder out of the piece, bruised like a forceps baby, but now he lies perfected in my memory. And this idea of the twisted face, the slashed throat, but also the bruised nature of him, su suggests uh, all suggestive of injury and death, obviously, but the, the forceps baby is, I suppose, is a signifier of, um, uh, of birth or rebirth in many respects. And what, what's happening here is that, uh, and that idea of memory, it, in memoirs for Paul the Man, Derrida writes of memory as something given to the other and as something that becomes somewhat fictionalized. And Katie Shaw draws us towards this in her book on hauntology, and she suggests that memory is shown to be discontinuous and porous, subject to an indefinable structure that operates between states of presence and absence. This dialectic flow suggests that, what, that while history offers facts, 
Memory offers a vital alternative narrative. So what we get here when Heaney says that he's perfected in my memory, we get this alternative narrative. We get this distortion of the contemporary moment in order to bring some form of understanding to it. We encountered the bog body in image, but again, we're wholly aware that Heaney is talking about the contemporary moment. We find ourselves in the haunted present as the past falls in on the present and both uh, collide and clash. And I think this notion of the forceps fabium rebirth and what, what is spectrally reborn here, I suppose, in many ways, is Heaney realizing and witnessing the unwilling victim um, and the haunting rebirth of the unwilling victim in, on the streets of contemporary Northern Ireland. And in this sense, I think that history is never dead, but rather through the guise of the spectre can return to haunt the present. And in, the, in, in reading bog poems, I think through a hauntological lens, living meaning from the past is brought to understanding the present moment. Heaney is not seeking, I don't think, to, to add warrant to the violence by deeming that it is cultural uh, and was inevitable, but rather is addressing similar episodes of the past that appear to be repeating and renewing themselves on the streets um, of, of Northern Ireland. And even what, 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 what two points to consider as well are the, 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 the repetition of lies twice in the poem. He says uh, he lies on a pillow of turf and he lies perfected in my memory. And in the bog poem, which precedes the raw ball man in North, Heaney chooses the word lay to position the bog body in that poem. But in, in the raw ball man, he mentions lies twice. Um, uh, and the two examples I just said there, but I think that the enjambment of lies twice in the poem also sets the word apart from its mere function as a signifier of positioning the body or, 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 or placing the body. And instead points towards the ways I think um, in which any support of violence or sacrifice can be deemed acceptable and that the justification for such actions um, uh, are lies. And again, we get that sense of heightened uh, violence, of heightened suffering um, here. Like the, the Grawball man is seen as, I suppose, a willing victim, a willing sacrifice in order for peace to be renewed or for there to be renewal in the springtime. But the Grawball man is not looked upon that way by Heaney. He's a victim. Uh, and we see that in the final two lines of the poem, which are, of each hooded victim slashed and dumped. So there's a, an almost disrespect to this body, a disrespect, he's just dumped in a bog and left there. And in an interview with Edward Broadbridge, again in 1977, Heaney comments on this violence in terms of repression. And he says in this interview, there's a kind of sectarian conflict going on, something that was repressed and held under, but which has forced itself to the surface again. And I've tried to make a connection lately between things that come to the surface in the bogs, in particular in Danish bogs, and the violence that was coming to the surface in the north of Ireland. And in writing Indifference in the early, uh, in, I think in the 1960s, Derrida also writes of the return of the depressed. And, uh, and a, a connection can be made uh, between Heaney and Derrida's thinking here, I think. And Derrida says that the repression of writing as the repression of that which threatens presence and the mastering of absence, the enigma of presence, pure and simple, and this is the important part, as duplication, original repetition, auto-affraction and difference. So I think that in this sense, in many ways, Heaney's poetry enacts a process of the spectral um, as the absent presence of the grovel man and the bog bodies on a broader scale are an original repetition or deferral of the past upon the present of Northern Ireland. And in Derrida's thinking um, uh, on difference, which means to, to differ or to defer, uh, and also a key feature of hauntology, a different representation of cultural violence has been deferred and repeats itself in the presence of Heaney's writing and our reading of the poetry in the present moment. So we find ourselves ontologically uncertain yet again, because we, we know he's talking about the past, but we also know that he's talking about the present. And we get those two worlds and times, time periods colli colliding, 
colliding there. And this transmits yet again into the later poetry in 1996 in the spirit level and the poem Talent. And that poem is dated as being written in September 1994. Um, and that would have been an important year for Heaney, because, an important time, and it would have been significant for Heaney because it signals the signing of an IRA ceasefire in the autumn of that year. Now, that ceasefire ultimately wouldn't, wouldn't, um, wouldn't, uh, wouldn't be upheld, but Heaney wouldn't have known this at the, at the time of writing. So there's a sense of promise here. There's a sense of um, a sense of hope in this poem, and that's reflected in the in the broader um, lines here. It's reflected in the in 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 the ABBA rhyming scheme uh, and the longer quatrains of talent, rather than the I suppose the enjambed and constricted uh, and drill-like lines of so much of of the earlier bog poems in Wintering Out and North. And I think that these reflect a new expansive and hopeful vision uh, of peace in the future. But it, it, there's, there's also a sense of pluralization because we see we stood a long time. Um, ref, it, there's that sense of pluralization, whereas in, in the Taliban earlier, it's the I will stand a long time. There's a sing, it's the singular. Um, and the hallucinatory as well, the Derrida in his reading of the spectral in, in, in Spectres of Marx and Hauntology, he says that, that the spectral is related to the hallucinatory. So what we find ourselves here is the Taliban returning in some ways, but in the context of possible peace, but we know because the of because of what the Taliban represents, he represents violence and sacrifice, and that this is still an undercurrent. It's still haunting. Still has that presence in this later poetry, even if Heaney says um, a, a little later down there in the second last stanza or the third in the third last stanza that things had moved on. But he's wholly aware of this sense of a possible return to violence, and we can see that in the second stanza. Uh, when we see willow, bush, willow bushes, rushes, bog fir grags in the swept and gated farmyard, dormant quags. And in the Talman, I think that the, the, the farmyard that we saw with the four young brothers, that signals violence. Whereas in the Talman, the, 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 the farmyard has been cleaned and locked off from violence. It is swept and gated, but it also has dormant quags. And the dormant nature of the landscape suggests that there is always a possibility of return and always, uh, uh, always a possibility of return and always a possibility of a return to violence um, at some point. And that, that the spectre has the ability to leave and return at any unknown point um, in, in the future. And in the context of Heaney's talent and the bog poems more generally, this trans-temporal influence of the spectre sees the possibility of wider European hauntings of cultural violence returning to haunt Northern Ireland again. And the light that shines at the end of that poem, we see, we see the word uh, bright in the third stanza, but also at the end in ghosts who'd walked abroad on phase by light to make a new beginning. This new beginning, it, it, every new beginning, I suppose, he's it, it, inaugurating something new yet again without breaking from the past. It's still there, it's still haunting that presence of the Taliban and what he ultimately represents. And, uh, and this repetition, this, this return of the past and the, the, the return of the Taliban, um, in Heaney's writing signals the ghostly because, as Derrida says, it produces an automatism of repetition. And that's a, a signifier of hauntology and a, and a clear signal of, of hauntedness. And it, it, in the last poem that I just discussed here now for today is um, the, the Taliban in Springtime from District and Circle in 2006. So we're 10 years later, or 12 years from when, from when Taliban was actually written, but 10 years on from the spirit level. And Heaney's writing this district and circle recalls the, 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 the London underground. So terrorism here, I suppose, or violence. It, it, the, the poem and this, the, uh, much of the collection is written in the context of global terrorism, terrorism 
and it recalls the bombings in the London Underground in, um, I think it was the 7th of July, was it 2005 or 2007? I think it was 2005. But Henry Hart here uh, comments on the Talon Man when he turned in this poem, and he terms him the Revenant Talon Man. So we get that sense of repetition and return again, <clears throat> the ghost of the Talon Man returning. But also the sense in Derrida's thinking, if we look at the, the opening four lines on the left-hand side, into your virtual city, I'll have passed unregistered by scans, screened, hidden eyes, lapping myself in time, an absorbed face coming and going, neither God nor ghost. And Derrida would say as well of the spectre that it, it, it's this, I suppose, non-physical entity. It, it, it's not the, 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 it's the idea and the, uh, uh, and the culture and the, the ideologies that return here. Um, and that's in line with Derrida's thinking. And especially there uh, halfway down through that, uh, through that stanza, we see, um, I reawoke to revel in the spirit they strengthened when they chose to put me down for their own good. So he's still the tallow man who remembers this violence. He's still the, uh, the, the tallow man who remembers this, these notions of sacrifice. Um, but we're in, in Northern Ireland, at least anyway, we're in a kind of a, a more peaceful time. But there's still that element of threat there. And that's reflected in the last two lines of that stanza when, when then going awry, uh, larks quietened in the sun, clear alteration of the bog pool rain. So I think that the, uh, the juxtaposition here between the air and earth uh, signals a connectedness between the airiness and the light of the later poetry with its visionary hope and the earthy, earthiness of the early poetry. And I think that this forces us to remember the past in terms of cultural violence, but also Heaney's past, uh, past works. And Heaney suggests, um, again in Stepping Stones, that he's still the talent man who was put down in the bog in order that new life would spring up. A principle of regeneration. So he he's he's deeply aware um, of what this of what the Taliban represents, and this sense of regeneration brings with it all the spectres of the past. With Derrida suggesting that haunting implies places, a habitation. So he still exists within this landscape. He still exists within the time, even if he is even now a, a distorted image yet again. He is a, a representative representative of something newer, uh, that that is away from the Taliban in the earlier poetry and the violence there. But that element of threat and violence is still very much hovering in the background of the poem. And even down on the right hand side there, I was like turned turf in the breath of God, bog bodied on the sixth day. There's notions of resurrection there, I suppose, in a, in a Catholic sense or in a Christian sense again. And that might recall um, the Talon man yet again and the, and, and the language used there. Um, uh, that, that notion of on the sixth day he rose again, maybe, or on the third day he rose again in, in, terms, of, in terms of Catholicism. But when we get to section three over here, this is probably the, one of the most haunting um, standards in the poem. And we see, again, we see the sense of um, my phantom hand. We see words like pillowed. We see words like bog pith. And these all, all remind us of, of past poetry uh, and earlier bog poems because we are reminded of the spectral nature of the Talon Man through the, the, my phantom hand. And once again, the earlier bog poems return to haunt this later poem as the Talon Man here being pillowed recalls the Grobal Man of North on a pillow of turf, which suggests the possibility that the violence signified by the Grobal Man lurks beneath the surface of this hopeful later poem. Fleshly and Bog Pit also have this quality, as they remind us of the victims of violence in the Talon Man through the flesh of the four young brothers that would have been trailed for miles along the lines in the second section of that poem. And there's also the presence of the word lay again, um, here in the third sonnet of the sequence. And we were reminded of Heaney's use of the word lay and lies in Bog Queen and the, and the Grawball Man as well. 
And then just to move over into the final three lines over here on the right hand side, I just cut um, these from the from the final section and the final sonnet of, of this sequence. <clears throat> um, As a man would cutting turf, I straightened, spat on my hand, felt benefit and spirited myself into the, into the street. And the, these are wholly um, haunting uh, in, a, in a literary sense for Heaney because they recall so much of his earlier poetry. And I think that the final sonnet is deeply spectral because not because in section four of that sequence, both entities kind of mix and match and merge into one there, but it also signals a return to digging and atto potato digging from uh, Death of a Naturalist, his first collection. Um, and in the Talam and in springtime here, um, we see you know, the, the cutting of turf. Um, it, it recalls him his grandfather in North, uh, or, or in digging, sorry, where, uh, quote, he cut more turf in a day than any man on Toner's bog. And where, quote unquote, again, he straightened up. So we get the sense of straightening and cutting turf. We also see the presence of roots in both digging and the final uh, sonnet of the later poem here. Uh, and this language is also repeated in Atta Potato Digging, where those picking the potatoes would, uh, and this is a quote again, straighten, stand tall for a moment. But there is also the presence in that in um, Atta Potato Digging of uh, there's a mechanical digger there uh, that wrecks the drill, Heaney says in, in, in that early collection. And just like in the Taliban in springtime, there is an untrustworthiness towards modern advancements and a, and a return to the language of, of the earlier poetry. And Derrida would suggest of this, um, this form of repetition and return, it, it, that it's entirely spectral because the spectre is what Derrida would say is dead and alive at the same time. Uh, and in this sense, the past poetry is confined to the past in many ways, but reanimates itself and distorts itself and reflects itself and haunts itself um, it, uh, and pushes itself in ways, I suppose, into the later poetry and re renews itself in, in a newer context. And we get this sense as well um, of, of spirituality uh, or, or even spectrality, sorry, when Heaney says that he spirit, or the Taliban says, I spirit myself into the street. Uh, and so when he spirits himself into the street, we get the sense of he's still that entity of violence, of sacrifice, but in a newer context. And he still has the ability to haunt into the future. Now, this is the final time that he does return in the poetry and the Taliban does return. But there's still that possibility of haunting and repetition and return um, uh, well into the future. Um, I know I'm at about 40 minutes there now at the moment, so we, I might leave it there if that's okay. Um, and th th thanks very much for, for, for listening. All right, thank you so much, Ian. That was fantastic. Uh, we have quite a few questions coming in um, and I, I'm actually gonna start with one of my own. Um, I, I was really interested in what you had to say about the prairies um, as an Americanist and an American. Um, and, and I was thinking of um, Renee Berglund's um, idea that the land in America is haunted because it's stolen. Um, and, and do you think that there's a way to read what Heaney's doing here in a, in a, in a wider historical context or in, in a sort of uh, deeper um, sense through that same sort of lens? Um, yeah, I think I think there kind of is. Yeah, um, like in so much of Heaney's poetry, and I'm kind of going to break away from the bog poems here for a minute. But in so much of it, he turns towards that historical context and the wider historical context in order again to understand his sense of self and where he can find himself in the world. Um, we see it in North, I suppose, in the the very I suppose in, in the Norse 
um, poems at the start of that collection in, in poems like uh, Viking Dublin trial pieces in North itself, which are a reflection of violence in the colonial sense in, in, in many ways, um, and, and also settlement. We see it again in, in North as well, um, I think in Ocean's Love to Ireland in, in terms of um, Sir Walter Raleigh uh, and his excursions in Ireland. We see it in Bog Oak in, in, in I think it was a door into the dark that in our wintering out um, in, in terms of Edmund Spencer. But I think, yeah, I think when you read the poetry, when, when you read Heaney's work through that lens, I think the hauntological lens, it all just becomes apparent and it all starts to mix into one. And like even when he turns to Virgil at the end, um, in, or not even at the end, in the later poetry, you know, Virgil, I suppose, in many respects, is um, a supporter of empire in a Roma, the Roman Empire. And like, geez, what, why is Heaney turning to him? But he still <laughs> finds... He, he still finds those, Im those images that are for himself. Uh, and and it, it's a reflection of what, he, he takes what he needs out of the poetry in order to, again, form some form of understanding where this violence is occurring and why is it happening? And is there older instances of where we can move away from it and find a, a path towards peace, I suppose. Um, I probably rambled on a bit there now. But <laughs> no, that's great, that's great, thank you. Um, I have a question from Alexander Jones, sort of on the same, um, same area. Uh, thanks, Ian, for a great paper. I'm wondering what you think about the extent to which hauntology shifts our idea of Heaney's politics. Do the links between past and present violence lead us to believe that the troubles are historically inevitable to Heaney? Um, I don't, I, I wouldn't say that Heaney's viewing it as inevitable, um, that it was going to happen. But maybe like i think when he turns towards it, what, what i was trying to get across there is that and i think that is trying to do in his poetry is to find some instances where this has happened before where there has been i suppose cultural violence um like when he he, he looks towards violence in all those different areas he looks towards ancient greece he looks towards virgil he looks to the bogs he looks towards i suppose maybe the violence in the underworld in terms of ugolino at the end of fieldwork and, and that sense of repetition of violence there where we see Archbishop Roger, I think, constantly gnawing on the skull. Um, and it's just, I think he, when he turns to the violence, it's, he's, I don't think he's saying that it's inevitable or it's always going to happen, but it's, I think it's part of human nature, unfortunately, in some respects, but it's, yeah. it's, it's more trying to understand where it's coming from and is there a possible route out of it and how, can these instances in the past guide us towards a brighter future, I think, is, is what, what, what he's trying to go towards. And I think by turning to these other hauntings, these other spectres, I suppose, everything that we encounter is a spectre, I suppose. But when these spectres return, they offer him, the, the I suppose, the mythical paraphernalia to towards peace or possible peace or, or an understanding of, of that violence. Yeah, I, 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 I think that it's 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 difficult to sort of pin all of this down yeah. <laughs> and you're doing a great job uh, uh, yeah uh, so uh, Orla Donnelly has a question here um, is there any significance in the different treatment of Heaney's bog as a site of preservation and Marina Carr's bog of cats which is quote always shifting and changing both are texts which use the bog and ghostliness to form connections with the past Oh, I'm not too sure now about was it Marina Carr? Is that yeah, Marina yeah, I'm, I haven't read that now and I don't know. But um, can you repeat the question there again? Sorry. Yeah, yeah, it's just um, the, the significance of the bog, the, the idea that in, in Marina Carr's Bog of Cats, um, there's a quote here that is, quote, always shifting and changing. So the bog is a place that's always, always changing. 
Um, and both of these both, you know, use the bog and ghostliness to, to form connections with the past. Yeah, I think I, I can't comment now on Marina cards. I don't really know, to be honest. Um, I'm sorry with that part. But, but for Heaney, I think that the bog does take on different forms and different um, paths. Um, it starts with digging in Death of the Naturalist at the start, where it, and we see the transtemporal kind of point or the, the transtemporal kind of illusions happening from there when he, um, I think this is father dig down and comes up 20 years away or so, something, I don't have the exact line there, but it, it takes on that kind of personal and familial sense and he's trying to understand himself and where he's going to go in his life. Will he go the farming route? Will he go the writing route? And then it changes from Bogland and he opens what he calls into the matter of Ireland. So it becomes that idea of, again, a comparison with the American prairies, as you said a minute ago, Dennis, hmm. but the, the, he's again trying to understand himself there but then it takes on that political weight in the in the 1970s when he encounters pv globs with the bog people where it he looks at these older notions of sacrifice and suffering and violence uh, and then it takes on an even different form again in the later poetry but but it's still haunted by what the taliban represents and the violence of those earlier texts but it's now turns towards a possible route towards peace and we see that reflected in the light of the of the taliban and also the, the, the shifting lights. And I think he, he calls it in, um, I think it is, is in seeing things, the, the shifting brilliances. Um, so like it, it, it does kind of take on different forms. And even if you want to go back to digging in itself and that, that, that metaphor of descent, it's, it's there everywhere as well in terms of Dante and, and Virgil uh, as well. I hope yeah. that answers it now, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna switch uh, uh, tax here a little bit. And, and there's a question about, um, about Heaney's work, is it is there an argument that perhaps from perhaps this point on it is haunted by a lack of religious presence, and that in fact he is trying to conjure a set of images that can be associated with Rudolf Otto's numinous? So is he going back to the pre-Christian to recover that numinous, non-dogmatic religious feeling which has been lost in the violence of Northern Ireland in the 70s? That's not something I had really considered before, but um yeah could, could very well be i think um yeah you've got me in the half there now, I think. <laughs> but um yeah i i think so because but but, but throughout in his poetry we, we do see him go towards those pre-christian elements um he he there's and there's always that kind of mixture and the co-mingling of the the, the, the christian and the pre-christian he calls it in Again, I think I'm leaning on stepping stones here, his book of interviews. He, he says that his influence is growing up around rural County Derry. He talks about um, uh, the Ban River. He talks about finding a Viking sword there. He talks about this, seeing the church spire out in um, the Strand, uh, out by Loch Vague. So he says that his influence is there, what he calls are half pagan, half Christian. Um, and so I think that's where Heaney's very much based. Um, and it, it's a good site to go towards, I think, for, for Heaney, um, that, that, that element of the half pagan, half Christian. Because um, he does turn towards in the bogs. He does mingle the, the, the numinous, as you say, um, with the, with, with the, with the, 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 the pre-Christian um, and those pagan goddesses and goddess nurses. He does the same when he turns toward ancient Greece in many ways. And he does the same uh, if you look towards uh, Ban Valley Eklog in the, in the later poetry, um, in Electric Light. He, he does the exact same thing there. And we see reflections and refractions. I think Michael C.J. Putman talks about it as well. We see Romulus and Remus and, um, the, and there's a, the, the double um, uh, kind of image there of uh, Romulus being the, the, the founder of Rome, but also the, the second century pre-Christian martyr. 
So there's all these different confusions or illusions, not even confusions, but illusions and allusions happening throughout the poetry between the pagan and the Christian or the, the pre-Christian and the Christian or the numinous, um, I think. And it's the same with Virgil in the later poetry as well, in terms of Aeneid Book 6 and his, and his full translation of it. Um, so this is more of a personal question here. Um, thanks for this extraordinary paper. This is from Liliana Garcia Dominguez, who asks, what led you to study Heaney's text um, and, and to pick specters and ghosts uh, as a way to approach them? Um, pure chance, to be honest. <laughs> um, I studied Heaney for my, um, I did, for, for my master's thesis, I did Heaney, but I didn't do anything with ghosts. And I kind of came across this by pure chance, to be quite honest with you. I was just reading through the poetry one day um, when I went to kind of, I, I had to do my PhD proposal and I just read through and I was like, what can I do? And I kind of spotted during the masters just bits and pieces about ghosts and and things like that. And then when I read Derrida's Spectres of Marx and then I reread the poetry, I was like, oh my God, here it is, off I go. Um, so it just all kind of, all different doors really just that kind of opened up and it was more of a, by chance and probably look than anything. Um, but yeah, it's just, and once I kind of started digging more deeper down into, into, into uh, Derrida really, and into all those kind of hauntings and the spectrality and everything, everything just started opening up, um, opening up for me, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> I love when that happens when things just start to click together. <laughs> You're like, hey, this thing I just read, it, it works perfectly. Yeah, it was just it. one of those things. And there was a lot out there as well already on go. So I, I was kind of wary as well, but I thought with the theoretical angle, it hadn't been done before. So yeah. um, I was lucky enough. Yeah, thanks very much. It's a very interesting angle. Um, I, we have a question here about, um, would you discuss a bit more about uh, female bog bodies and Heaney's misappropriation of them? Um, thinking of punishment turned out to be a bog boy, not girl, and strange fruit. That's an anonymous uh, attendee question. Um, um, yeah, uh, I suppose Heaney links the feminine in many ways with, um, with the bog, with the landscape. Um, I didn't know that about the, the, what was it, the punishment girl was actually... Turned out um, to be a boy, not well, a girl, boy. says, yeah. I, I actually didn't know that, so I'm, yeah, that, that's new information to me. Um, I'd love if the person could link in something there, I'd love to read something on it. Um, I'd be amazed there. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I haven't really worked a lot on that, that feminine element. My, my, my um, I, I suppose in, in terms of punishment, you do get the sense of, him conflating and mixing the, I suppose, what, what he called, what, what I suppose he talks about uh, the punishment. I'm going to say girl now as well, but I know I've been disproven, but um, the, 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 he, mixing it with the, the contemporary tarring and feathering of women. And we see the tarring there as well in the Grawball Man, where he's, where he's uh, ref, ref, uh, references being tar-like. Um, and, and that's the analogy that's drawn there. I don't, I don't really, I haven't done much research on the feminine or the femininity of, of the bog bodies really myself. So I, I don't really want to say too much about it in case I go down the wrong route. Uh, it's a source If that person could send in something, oh, geez, I, I'd love to hear about it. That'd be great. Yeah, uh, um, we'll see if they do. Um, I, I think we have time for a couple more here. Um, so Connor McDonough asks, uh, regarding Heaney's use of the underworld journeys in the poetry of Homer and Virgil, encounters with the shades of the dead in their poems are often unsatisfying, frustrating, since these shades can't be embraced. 
in Hedy's spectral imagery, do you think this unsatisfying aspect is present? And if so, is there any scope in his poetry for a richer hope for resurrection and reunion, or is that entirely absent? Um, I, I'm not too sure, really, to be honest with you. Um, I think in terms of, like, you're talking about the, the, the like, in, in the underworld journeys, I suppose the first thing that comes to mind is to meet the shade of the father. Um, we see it in the golden bow um, at the start of seeing things, and we see it again, the journey to meet the shade of the father in Route 110 in Human Chain. And we also see it again, um, I suppose, in some ways, in, in the full translation in 2016 of, of Book Six of the Aeneid. But those shades in the underworld are kind of interesting characters, I think, in Heaney's poetry, because especially in the context of Route 110, they become local, they become Northern Irish, but also, um, I think that there, there's an attempt to embrace there, I suppose, in a personal sense, in the sense of conflating his world with, with that past world, I think, in the mythical world. But in terms of touch or resurrection or, I suppose, new beginnings, um, I'm not too sure. I don't, I don't really know. Like at the end of Route 110, which uh, the central poem of Human Chain, we see, I suppose, or even the riverbank field and the end of that poem. Um, I, I, I can't remember it after I sat my head, but... You know, he talks about the dawn with the sky and resurrection there. And that reflects again then at the end of Route 110 um, in the birth of the new grandchild, um, Anna Rose. And I think there he, he calls her in that poem Earthlight. And I think that reflects she is now the embodiment of the earthiness of the bogginess of the earlier poetry and also the light of the, 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 of the later stuff. So I think there's a connection there in, in immortality in a, and resurrection in in a mystical sense, um, but I don't know about any other kinds um, myself, to be honest. Okay, uh, we have one more question, um, and it's uh, from our, our own Orla. Uh, I'm interested in the idea that Heaney uses history as a means to overcome the need to commit to one or other side of the troubles. Does he see history as a sort of neutral, apolitical entity, simply lying in wait, uh, do you think, or as well, as well as speaking to the contemporary moment, is there a sense that Heaney is trying to overcome the contemporary and its divisions by hearkening to the past? It's a big one uh, at the end there for you. <laughs> in order, thank you. Um, yeah, I, I suppose, um, yeah, I, I think that the first thing that popped into my head there in terms of the historical um, was his poem Terminus, or Terminus at the start of um, the Hall Lantern, where he talks about, um, I was the last Earl on horseback, and he talks about being in between. Um, two buckets were easier carried than one. I grew up in between, I think, are the lines. Um, so that sense of in-betweenness for Heaney is an important part of his, I suppose, his, his world, his sense of self, and also his upbringing, because he talks about wintering out, or in, um, in Stepping Stones again, about uh, the Evans brothers who lived down the road from them. They were, um, they would march in the orange, in the orange marches in July um, past this house. He talks about going out to wave at them at the, as they would go, go past the house. So there's never any animosity between, um, but I think he says in that book, um, you never had any animosity between people who to celebrate their traditions or faiths or whatever, but you'd never have anything got to do with the bigoted crowd anyway. So it didn't really matter what their opinions were. So, but, there's that sense, I think, and he turns to the historical, uh, and I think for Heaney, the historical is a way of understanding the present moment, but it's also in a way of highlighting a sense of shared history, I think, and uh, of shared culture. And he does that when he turns towards Edmund Spencer and Walter Raleigh in, in Bog Oak and Ocean's Love to Ireland. 
Um, but he's not in any ways trying to uh, maybe, I suppose, cover up the atrocities or what, whatever, you know, the, the historical implications of, of, of those, um, of, of the colonial history in Ireland. But instead to find a shared space of understanding between the past and the present and everyone in Northern Ireland and um and and even he's trying to tread that line don't I think he was trying to with the publication of North he was accused of supporting the IRA and he was accused of not supporting them and then he you know there's all these things and he's trying to he's trying to be dragged into it and he and he doesn't at any stage um and even that encounter with Danny Morrison which he talks about in the flight pass um you know where he's in encounter he said when are you going to say something for us and his response is probably the best one he's, he writes so um or when I do say something, I'll be writing for myself. So that's what Heaney's doing. He's trying to understand. It, it, I don't think he, he's looking at the political and he's looking at the. Hello? Nope. Have I lost you? No. 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 Oh, sorry. No, my, my laptop's gone there. When he's okay. looking at the. <laughs> sorry, there's things happening here on the screen in front of me. Um, well, when he looks at the historical, it's. Um, he, he, he's writing for himself and he's trying to understand his own place within it and it, in him looking it, in his looking at his own place within it I suppose there's a sense of a plurality there in that other people can look look at it as well and find that sense of shared heritage or, or a shared space yeah, it makes um, it more universal I guess yeah. that's that yeah universal sure. appeal yeah, what a great place to stop. Um, so unfortunately, we're out of time. Uh, I, I would love to thank uh, Ian for his amazing talk. Uh, thank you so much. Um, Thanks very much for having me. Yeah, no, it's just wonderful. Uh, we'd also like to thank the Long Room Hub for hosting these events and for technical support, especially Dr. Quiva Whelan. Thank you so much. Uh, thanks as well to the School of English at Trinity College Dublin and to all of you for attending. Our next event will be on the 20th of April at 4 p.m. with PhD candidates Sterla Houston and Hannah Elizabeth Matthew. Uh, registration is open now, so please look to the Long Room Hub's event page for information on how to register uh, or check out our Twitter at Seminars TCD 2020 or our blog um, and uh, you will see how to register or it is in the chat right now. Um, and uh, thank you all for attending and stay safe out there um, and we'll see you next time and take care. The Hub is a community. Manuscript, book and print cultures, stamping provenance Languages towards the history of the Time of Year Library. As well as being heard. The Hub is a space. Contemplating Ireland through the communities this created by Coral The Hub is about impact. The Hub is for everyone. The rise of feminism.